0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: Today's show is sponsored by stamps.com. Postage rates have gone up again, but you can keep your rates down with discounts from stamps.com. Just click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter the code badchristian for your free 4-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. You are now entering the Bad Christian podcast. Trace, Dose, Quattro, Uno. <laughs>
2: it's a, it's a, it's the bad Christian podcast. It's the, it's the bad Christian podcast.
1: Yes,
3: thank you, TJ. Thank you, TJ, TJ, B- kicking the show off. TJ. From As Cities Burn is our guest host today. We have got no Joey Svensson whatsoever. Thank God. We just wrapped up We've the BC upgraded. Conference. <laughs> We've upgraded to another redheaded person to uh, co host the podcast here
2: the Ginger Ninja.
3: And the, there you go. <laughs> we're in the Emory Tour bus right now, and we, we're in Miami, Florida, in a little uh, town, a neighborhood called Little Haiti. we got a show coming up in a little bit, and we thought we'd give a couple of thoughts on the BC Conference this weekend catch up with you guys, and we're going to actually air some material from one of the panels from the conference this weekend. A ton of people have been asking us about it and want to hear how it went, so we figured the easiest way to do it is just kind of roll some tape from what we captured this weekend. So, um, The thing about being here on the tour bus is that I wanted to tell everybody, Do you remember uh, a couple episodes ago, I was telling you all how I had a bad day. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It was a bad day. Well, we got all that worked out. Yeah. Nothing went bad. (laughs) That all was fine. There
1: was nothing to it. Well, I mean, our bus is still messed up a little bit. Well, here we are. It made it that's to Miami. True. It has not stopped. Yeah. Well, I, somebody said this. Like, we had a, a shitload of stuff go wrong, real bad wrong. And we still don't know about how much it's going to cost us the car you hit. Well, that's true. You hit it. So we. Had, so there's nothing. You know, like, uh, you don't know if you got a bad grade on test, so you're just waiting. Maybe I did good. Maybe yeah. I didn't. Blah, blah, blah. And so that's where we're at right now. And
3: things could still be headed to bad. No, nah, I think but everything worked out. I think we're all good. We're all in the clear. No problem I on that. Don't I don't know. If I <laughs> you. How
2: did I miss that we hit a car?
4: No, that, that was before that I, was hit a, I hit
3: a car with this bus at the you bus shop. It, yeah. in the, before we left for the tour, while we were getting the bus service, I ran into a to Gotcha. A car, I was
2: so. going to say, man, this thing's been so wild that I didn't even know we were hitting
3: cars. Yeah. You can't even tell sometimes in this thing. So everything's been going pretty good, but I did have a... Eh, a little bit of a slip up yesterday. I had a little boo-boo yesterday, tour bus related. So if I don't know if people understand what it's like when they say when we keep talking about tour bus, I think people are envisioning it's a number
1: one. It's not a boo-boo or a doo-doo. It's, a number <laughs> yeah, one. it's just it number one related.
3: Number one. So I don't think I don't know if people really understand what we mean when we talk about tour bus. I guess now that I think about it, a lot of people envision one of those really fancy, super shiny. Paint job things that have the couches and the nice TVs and the leather everywhere and right. a shower and a nice bathroom and all that kind of stuff. So TJ, you, can you tell us is that is that what this it's, rig is it's, like? It's
2: definitely not that, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a bus that uh, gets us around on tour. So I think it holds up to what it's supposed to do.
3: So it's underwhelming. You're uh, not uh, uh, like yes, you don't even yes. appreciate getting to ride on the. No, I love it. Yeah, I,
2: I definitely appreciate it. We were. Stoked to, you know, have the opportunity to, to ride with you guys and smell your uh, your bodily, uh, just your bodies. It <laughs> smells like a bunch of dudes on this bus right
3: yeah, now.
1: Is. Well, you're in a, uh interesting position, too, because there's only eight bunks yeah. on this bus. And how many people are riding on this bus? Twelve. <laughs> so you and three other people are riding are sleeping on the futons in the front right but not even yeah i mean just like not even laying down the futon it's just <laughs> that's right you're sleeping on it as a couch
2: what you would call in the biz the front lounge <laughs> <laughs> uh which is set up very nicely i mean you could you could easily sit 12 people out there with you know good comfortable room and have a good yep. conversation uh but yes we're out there it's comfortable those are ikea yeah, I, I mean IKEA so that's stuff, like y'all didn't here, yeah. take the middle of the mall shit this so is what like, are
3: the amenities on the bus tell describe to people I, you know I, I won't do it for them you describe what it's like on here and what are the facilities specifically you
2: know? well uh facilities well if you need to use the bathroom you're gonna uh-huh. go in the very back yeah um and it looks like there might be mice back there <laughs> or like they they would live pretty nicely back there uh but you you know you only go whether you're in a real nice tour bus or uh, the underwhelming ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you only go number one on, on the bus. That's right. just a rule. That's, I guess, yeah, yeah. etiquette where, you know, uh, so you go all the way to the back. If it's moving, there's a, you can grab on to the little, what do you call that?
1: Like a little handle little, bar. Little little, oh shit yeah, handle.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you just go. Recommended not if you can find a bottle. Uh, you know, that's another option. Can you but
3: tell them about our toilet? Can you explain toilet, what um, our toilet so is? When
2: I first saw it, I didn't even know it was a toilet. <laughs>
3: uh, but
2: then after I started looking at it, uh, it's kind of like if you've ever been in an RV. Uh, it, it's similar to that. It's very yeah. small, or maybe even like an airplane. I don't know. It's been in a while since I used a bathroom and an airplane, but it's it's very small. I mean, you're only going to really want to go number one in it. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of looks just like a, a big Tupperware.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, it's like a Tupperware box, like that. <laughs> That's basically correct. It's, it's a, a camping toilet. It's a right? camping toilet. Where do we get it from? Camping, camping world, world or world? something? Yeah, it's just it's just a camping toilet that it has a five-gallon tank with a little bowl sitting on top of it and right. it doesn't connect to any plumbing and it doesn't yeah. go to a holding tank and it doesn't go to anywhere else like that so i know all the details about the toilet because i'm the toilet man the I, yeah everybody has a different thing they're responsible for on the bus and the one i'm in charge of is the bathroom and the toilet and it's always been so so we got Can this i interview toilet.
1: you about the toilet since you're the toilet okay I'll explain it matt um the camping the toilet we have came from camping world How many people should it normally service?
3: It would probably be a perfect toilet for a elderly man and his wife (laughs) in their RV, or that went camping. So,
1: are you implying that twelve men urinating in it is not? It's not sufficient.
3: I don't recommend it. I've had we've had bad experience so far. It's clearly underpowered in the toilet department for twelve men. Who would rather pee on the bus than ever go off and find their own bathroom. So it's not been good.
1: Well, okay. So let me give a little, little clarity to the listeners. The toilet is really usable at night when we're parked somewhere. Where, so you don't sure. have to get off the bus Middle and go into Walmart yeah, or right. walk a long ways. Or while we're riding down the road. Right. Now, how much urine do you think comes out of an average man on a uh, four-hour road trip. Well, I, I, how many I know, o- how many ounces though? You, would
2: you, you could easily
1: get a twenty-ounce uh, yeah, yeah. bottle. Sixteen, 20 but, yeah, 20. yeah. Okay, yeah. let's let's even be conservative here. Sixteen ounces, right? Yeah. Sixteen ounces times twelve. Sixteen times ten is a hundred sixty ounces. Yeah. That's yeah. a five gallon. How many ounces are in a gallon? Sixteen. Sixteen ounces
3: in a gallon? I'm going to look, look no, it up. No, a gallon is like a hundred, two hundred ounces. A gallon is 200 ounces? A two liter is like 96 ounces, and a gallon's twice that, so it's like 190-something. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway, the toilet fills up every day. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Every day, 128, so,
1: 128. 128. 128 yeah. ounces. Uh, so that means each person must be peeing <laughs> six to seven <laughs> times a day. Well, for whatever reason. Because <laughs> it filled unbelievable. Yesterday, yeah. it filled unreal to where the, there's a bowl, like a normal toilet, and the urine was up. Up there, it was no longer in the storage.
3: Yeah, so the I t- went to go take the toilet out yesterday because he, now here's the crazy thing about it: you got to take this toilet. There's nowhere that it goes. Right. There's no place where right. you're supposed to dump four or five gallons of pee. There yes. is no right authorized place for that. So I'll, one of the challenges of my job is I have to improvise the place where all if everybody's twelve. And, and minutes yesterday you're guys. in downtown Orlando. We're in downtown Orlando, <laughs> and I go back to the toilet, and it is overflowing. Flowing. The holding tank is full and the bowl of the camping yeah. toilet even is has, full. Yes. It has it. Right. Yes. And I say, oh, here's, I got to do what I could do. But I put on my gloves so I figure I'll be fine with gloves, right? Right. That, that way, I won't have to touch any pee because yeah, I've got yeah, gloves on. Yeah. It's Perry. heavy, but
1: you'll be fine. That's right. So I pick thinking, up yeah. the
3: toilet and immediately the seam between the holding tank and the bowl ruptures and a lot of pee <laughs> goes on the floor and my jeans. A right. lot. Right, right. And not that upset about it, but I'm a little frustrated. And there's no way to get it out of the bus, so right. I just say, "Everybody, get ready to clean the bus." I'm coming through with the pee. Get out, right. you know. Here we go.
1: So you'd already poured piss. A decent amount. Everybody's piss on you. on me, right? So I got every peed single on person on the bus men is pissed yesterday. on. Yeah. like
3: all my friends peed on me. Yesterday. Right, right. So then I to get the thing, rush it out the door, and say, "Y'all gonna have to clean this up behind me," but I'm gonna go dump the thing. So I go sneak. By the parking attendant, I have Devin follow me out there, and I say, Devin, here's what I need you to do. I separate it, I dump it out of the bowl, and now I've only got the holding tank. Now it's right. manageable. Okay. I say, All right. I'm good now. I only have the holding tank part. Right. It has a valve between the two yeah. that lets the pee into the holding tank. Right. And I say Devin, and it's
1: just look. It looks like a like a Tupperware big a plastic water jug. water jug. Yeah. And I
3: say, Devin, you go over to the side of this fence here. I'm going to go around the other side. I need you to lift this <laughs> heavy because it's pretty heavy. It weighs thirty forty pounds when it's full. Lift it over the fence to me, and I'm going to go dump it.
1: I mean, immediately that sounds dangerous. Well, lift we had some. to sneak. <laughs> <lift. laughs> You lift, to sneak. lift a super mm-hmm. heavy mm-hmm. tub of piss yep. over a fence.
3: It's, right. Well, it you have to sneak like past a, the parking attendant. Right. It's not you like got, I could ask him, right. could I dump the pee in his parking. You know her, what right.
2: that sounds like? CrossFit to me. Yeah, yeah it, it does. does. It's, it does. It's a it does work, actually doesn't. sound like
3: that. So I, get, I sneak past the parking attendant. I walk back there, look nonchalant. Devin lifts the pee thing up. He lifts the tank up, and the valve that opens it up where the – Bowl goes into the holding tank, gets caught on the chain link fence, opens the valve, and it all starts pouring directly on me on the other side of the More fence. More piss, but I can't panic because I'm in the middle of doing the operation of pumping right. it, and you know, right. so I just have to stay there. Pouring out on me, I reach over, said, get it
5: down, give it down, get it down,
3: get it, get the valve shut." Now I'm actually covered in everybody's piss, like big time.
2: So you could have said, "You're in for it."
3: I was in for it. That's right. You're, You're in, in for it. I get it. I go dump it into the You're unit, in love. into the little uh, detention pond at the end of the parking lot. Sneak it back in here. So not the best for me. Well you came
1: what, back grizzled and angry. You said we were no longer allowed. No to more toilet, toilet for you guys. Now I want to give a little backstory here. There's something about you, and I don't know what this is, but so for a long time, we've had our other bus, and now this bus, we've had them for seven years, I don't know, whatever it is. You decided early on that nobody would want to do the toilet, so that you took it upon yourself to do that. But I don't really understand that, but almost like in defiance, like nobody wants this, so I'll do it. There's something about that, right? It's like, the dirty one. Yeah, nobody, nobody wants to ever yeah. clean the toilet, so no matter what, I'll do it. So you've done a really phenomenal—I I, I mean, I'll be honest. <laughs> our old toilet was w- was to stationary. It wasn't moving. You know, it was just a hole and all that stuff in our back. And it, and you would clean it. Like, you would go back there and clean it and get fresh water from, you know, the club or the runoff water from I, our cooler or whatever. I'm willing to do the Right, dirty right. Work. So you've done it. But this one, it stole you, your soul. It Like, it it— like, this broke you. Like, I
3: rethought, I'm starting to rethink some of my life choices. Getting
1: pissed on, yeah, like, you were like, nobody's allowed to use it. Now, here's what's funny. That was yesterday. Today, something in you were like, I'll try again. I'll and try you brought again. the yeah. toilet back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what was it? You were like, I can't do this.
3: I'm, I know I can beat it. Like, is that what it is? Like, and I know I can could, beat this. You could call it a servant's yeah. heart. I mean, Jesus washed people's feet. Right, <laughs> I wanted to take it up a notch, right? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. You, I, but really, I like doing the dirty work in life, and I really do because then I don't think anybody can say shit to me.
1: That's true. Do you know what I mean? I'm not. Right.
3: You know what I mean? Like now, if the trash needs taken out, I ain't. Yeah. All oh, right. It. Like I'm. I did the dirty I, thing. Yeah, that I did Nobody wanted thing. to do. Yeah, yeah that makes and sense. Everybody saw me do it, so everybody's right. gonna. I, nobody's gonna hassle me. Is what right. I feel about it. Because I'm not scared of germs, and I, I actually don't really care about. It. I, like, I didn't change pants; I'm still wearing the same. I know pants. that's what I, I was thinking. I like, you care.
1: got all of our urine was on you, and you slept in those pants last I just, night. I slept any in any
3: those day. pants, and I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't have a, I didn't bring another pair. But you, I, mean, I did not bring another pair of pants was, with uh, me. So yeah, matter. so
1: you. I mean, you went all in. There's no going <laughs> yeah. back. That I mean that that I get it, and I appreciate it. Like, here, here's the problem: we just have so many. Dudes on the bus right now that I don't know how we can get away from it. That the problem yeah. is you don't really, you just don't think about it when you're riding down the road. You go, oh, I'm going to take a leak. Yeah, and it's easier than
3: stopping the whole bus and well, getting you know, off. Well, I just like, I just love the environment. I think this tour bus is crazy. Like, there's it's about 320 square feet, and 12 people live on it, and we almost never get off of it. And it's right. like, and you've said this before. If you explain to somebody the conditions, a toilet like that, and yeah. 12. People having to live in 330 square feet. Right. It would sound like a human rights. Yeah, it would sound violation. like third world country. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> but it's ama- I love There's it. There's
1: 12 men and they <laughs> can only share this one toilet and they have to carry their pee to other right. places right. to dump it. And they're yeah. it, some of them are sleeping. Have to sleep on couches. They don't have beds. No. We're, that's our tour. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And I think it's just so
3: good. But that just you know continues off what we were saying before of the oddness of the types of things that we do and what it's really like to be in a band. And we sell a ton of tickets and we're a big yeah. band and things are. Great great. It's my professional career. This is what the life, that, this is the life that everybody always asks about and wants. This is it. And then we talked about that in the last episode. I thought that'd be kind of funny.
1: Well, that's the one thing about TJ that I think is so good is like, uh, it's funny. I wake up real early and I usually am the first driver. And TJ, almost every time I wake up, you're up. And either you're doing some work that you have to do from, you know, for back in Nashville or whatever, or you're just happy. And I can't believe how happy you are. Like you haven't there, like you sleep on a couch and we have this toilet and all this stuff but nothing makes you sad about being on tour like do you love being on tour like what oh, like yeah. there, you, oh, yeah. you would you have not ever even come close to a complaint about tour it's hard it's hard to uh
2: to to complain I mean it's it's the best life of course uh I'm used to you know when I did tour heavily it's 200 plus days a year which i don't think that's in line what i'm i'm interested in doing but it's like vacation with like you think about your bachelor parties with your friends that you you haven't seen in a while uh so you get of course our band's pretty close and then we were close with you guys so it's just just a big hangout uh that never never a dull moment it's always entertaining and um I mean, I, I definitely took a lot of things for granted early on with our band, just not knowing where they were going to go and when it was going to end. And so now it's just kind of like, hey, just live it up every day. Like so. it's more old. special now. Exactly. You're yeah. old enough
3: to right. appreciate it. Sure. Even though the conditions are.
2: Definitely. Nope. <laughs> I mean, come, you guys know I'm not, <laughs> n- nobody's above any of that. This is, uh, it, it beats going in a, in a van. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had the opportunity to, uh, the other night to stay in. Uh, some airbnbs for for no charge and and turn we turned that down didn't even go no because we wanted to stay <laughs> yeah. in the bus so
3: yeah so tell people what you're doing for like your normal job
2: my normal job i do mortgage loans for a company called movement mortgage mm-hmm. in nashville which is great works out with flexibility doing what we're doing here so and,
3: can you imagine the people out there that are buying the first house they're you know they're just People listening to this podcast, you guys are buying houses. You know what it's like. You got a guy doing your mortgage. Could you picture when you're sending in all those documents to your mortgage lender on your first house? That is TJ from As Cities <laughs> right. Burn who's filled in the email from the front lounge of the tour bus right. while we're going down the road drinking beer and peeing in this. T- you imagine yeah, that being hey, your loan officer. That- I'm, I'm here to do it. Emails while we're going yeah, down the road. I'm ready to help. Doing, you know, trying to sell a million dollars in mortgages. Well, I, in a month. I did
2: uh, Amberlin refinance. Or I say Amber Lynn, uh Stephen and his wife. They refinance their house in Nashville. I did their loan, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> nice.
3: <Yeah>. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> I, I know. I came out the other morning, and you were already at work at like six a.m. Yep. You were just doing emails and responding, and like that's what I'm saying. Like it. I can't believe it. Like you have work to do from home. You're doing a show. You're on. You know. You're sleeping on the couch. All that yeah. stuff. And I couldn't. I just can't believe how happy and and like solid and just like there's. N- you never even come close. It's to an saying. experience. Yeah, yeah.
2: People. People that ever get the opportunity to go on the road and be as the level of success that we we're at. Like we're very humbled with it. Even though you know you figure the show is kind of like the main reason why we're here. That's 35 minutes out of the day. Yeah. But we're spending so much more time just hanging out, which, yeah, the show is the main reason why we're here. But the other parts that come with it are, you know, the things that are key to to me having a good time. So what's your favorite smiling. part of the day? Favorite part of the day? Um, this lifestyle. Same question, man, so we, we we do the driving. Um, usually uh, we have done it at night. Waking up in a new city is really cool. Uh, I know we've been doing it, like, uh, kind of leaving <clears throat> during the day and going, but that's always a great feeling where you go to sleep in one city and then you wake up and you're in the next, kind of just find the new thing.
3: Toby doesn't get that experience because he, he's, he's the, the driver. gets up early and drives yeah. before he so sees that we all get the, to wake up in the other
2: city. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that I like about it, but that's just cool just to go to the next place. I think,
1: I think my favorite thing is just when everybody's in the lounge cutting up, for sure, like – more probably than the show or anything like I love getting to tour with a band and they're on our bus and we don't have to go anywhere and they're just there. Yeah. Like I really do like that. Like today we went and played top golf, which I've never done before in my life. And the reason we went is cuz Aaron and TJ said, "Hey, we should go do top golf. We're going we're going to go." Yeah. And I was we wouldn't have thought about it. If it was just Emery wouldn't have thought to do that, but because you two said that, we went and it was so Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I mean, like, awesome. getting to do stuff like that, is, like, chill stuff. Like, I, I we, we, none of us are, like, super partiers or trying to, we never, you know, we were all either married early or whatever and never hooked up or anything, but, like, like really hanging out and cutting up and having a good time with dudes
3: is yeah. really fun. Nothing like it. I think my favorite part is what I now consider to be my uh, evening commute. So everybody out there has jobs. They, you know what I mean. You live in the city. You got people drive an hour home from work, and then they're looking forward to relaxing or right. supper, playing with their kids, all that kind of stuff. But my commute is from when I get off work. I'm done. I just play the last song on stage, and I get to walk <laughs> thirty four feet to my bed, thirty four feet. With no walk out to my favorite living room in the world, where all my friends are already drinking and right. partying. And it's 34 feet from the time I get off work, which is about you know, 10, 45, 11, 15 at night. Right. All my friends are already there chilling, and I have a 34-foot commute to the best party zone which is also four feet from my bed. Right. <laughs> There's nothing better than that. <laughs> that you're exactly right. That's, like That's I, a commute. Every Emory show I go to, my
1: bed is yeah. within 30 feet. Yeah, and the it.
3: best part, hangout party you want to do in the oh, night. 100%. You know, your best friends hang out right. drinking. I can hang I
1: out as long as I want or go to my bed or anything. Yeah. 100%. I just don't have a good bathroom. Other, other, than, the other bathroom than the bathroom part. Bathroom. part that's right everything's amazing
3: <laughs> <laughs> t j What did you think about the uh conference? I mean we gotta talk about that a little bit. We're gonna actually in a few minutes we're gonna cut to conference audio, and so you guys will be. Virtually teleported to the conference ourselves yeah. but TJ, what parts of the conference and all that did did you get to check out and see?
2: Um, so uh, we were pretty much at Rocket Town all day uh, for the shows, setting up there. But uh, so the only part of the conference I was able to go to was the after party, um, where everybody dressed all uh, slick in yeah. there semi-formal mm-hmm. gear that was cool seeing uh, everybody dressed up having a good time and i know that was the end of it but did have the opportunity to talk with many of the uh the people that went and they just were you know going to be going out on a high they just looked like they had a great time so looked very successful i mean the show and at rocket town yeah, was show great was something else. um so obviously hope for the next years to come with
1: the the conference it's funny, yeah, I was talking to a guy, one of the guys in the BC clubs called Tyler Hoagland, and uh, he was saying, man, I love ACB so much, and TJ was there, and I just went up to him, and I was really nervous, and I was like, hey, I want to tell you I love your band or whatever, and he said... And he talked to me for 30 minutes. <laughs> like it's you didn't crazy. like, you didn't like shut nah. it down. Or anything. Like he was like, man, this guy's awesome. I, like I, I had to end the conversation. It, it, it does. Like, like he, he I mean, talking nah, to him. Nah, it
2: makes it more awkward whenever they make, like, and I'm not saying they like, just as they think that you're someone different. Uh, I mean, shit, we're all normal people. Right. Uh, we just get the opportunity to do this. And it's this kind of where we, where we lined up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah,
1: I know I you mean, will. Like, uh, no, no, pre, you know, you're not pretentious or anything. You're just willing to hang out and chill. So people love that too about you. I think that's one of the reasons too why our bands are friends and we tour together so well. It's like y'all are just easy to be around. It. There are some bands that take themselves seriously or too seriously. Maybe it's it's okay to take yourself seriously, but too seriously or whatever. And you guys don't do that. Like you you care about your music, you care about your band, but in a way that's accessible and uh, friendly yep. so like that's why we almost hit it off immediately because it's just easy to be around you guys same you know? yeah great
3: yeah it's fun to see so what uh what else did I, this is like i said this is the first episode we've been back since conference and joey's not here so it's hard to yeah really he died actually, he actually died you know what's crazy is i didn't even like joey's one of the people i got to talk to almost the least at the conference yeah like it, we were just busy and i talked to so many people and did so much stuff and joey flew in and flew out and I've been seeing you every day, but I didn't even get to really even process of him. So we we'll have to talk about in the next episode. But is there anything that you thought or felt or wanted to say or catch people up with about the conference before we move on?
1: I mean, anybody that was at the conference knows it was unbelievable. Like I told my wife this, Jess. I was like, "This is a maybe a life changing moment or like a pinpoint yeah. in my life where something changed." Like I, it was so amazing and and not anything that like. I mean, I, th- I think you and Reva worked so hard to do so much. And, you know, I I was a part of it, too. Like, I did some bits and planning and stuff like that for sure. But, like, I really felt the whole time I was just a part of something. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't – like, we've always joked around. We're not leaders and we're not – like, it didn't feel like we were. Like, I, I felt like the conference would happen without me. Right. And it really – that was, like, my most proudest moment. Like, you don't need Toby there. Like, everybody's smart and wanting the same thing, and, yeah. and the speakers are so good, and everything. Like if Toby wasn't here, this thing could happen, and that made me feel great. Like that was the, that's a real thing that I think church or you know the systems have wrong the leadership. Like if we wouldn't have been there, everybody. I mean, we definitely add something. I'm not going to say I you know I'm I'm funny or I do lines or do the musical at the beginning or you know Phantom of the Opera thing or whatever. Like I I add I I believe in myself and know that I add a lot. But the fact that it happened. And could happen even without me made me feel so proud of the moment, like yeah. it was like it was a real thing that happened.
3: Yeah, I'd have to say it was one of the more. I mean, I guess it was probably the most successful. And I don't know how you measure success, but to me, it felt like the most successful thing that I've ever been a part of. Like it worked, it was smooth, it did so good, and I did so little at it. Like I didn't, right. do, I didn't do anything. I mean, it just it went, it happened. I was on stage very little. There was so many people that are part of our community and extended group and with all the stuff that went on leading up to it and people talking about it, I just could not believe how calm and chill and whatever just smooth and safe and right everybody was I felt so free to, to do yeah. whatever they wanted to do and do it so so what we'll do is uh we'll take a real quick second here and talk about a sponsor and then we're gonna Play one of, and we did. I don't know. I mean, dozens of spots, uh, dozens of panels and speakers and stuff like that. But we're gonna play one of the uh, one of the panels that we have. This one was called the gospel. The marginalized. I don't know what it was called. Breva, do you remember what it was called? The
0: uh, let's see, the gospel victimhood and the marginalized. That's
3: it. Okay, now let's try to remember who was on the panel. It was moderated by Jesus Joey. Oh. Right? Oh, it was moderated by Dan Koch? Oh, no, it was Joey. No, Joey moderated Joey. it. Derek Miner was on it. Yeah. Candice was on it. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Merritt was on it. It was just so incredible the whole weekend. And then Candace had a friend named Nicole, who yeah. I don't think anybody's heard from before, but she was amazing. And so what you guys are going to hear is a discussion that they had on yeah. this topic that we kind of we kind of just came up with a loose idea for it uh joey sat up there and walked him through it and then we had no idea how the conversation was going to go or what they were but it was great so pleasant so we got a bunch of other material from the conference that we'll probably share over time but we just thought it'd be appropriate to uh hell yeah to, to go ahead on this first episode back and let you hear what we were up to this weekend so um all right let's take thank you break. tj here from thank you tj of as he's Burn. if anybody wants to come see us we got a couple more shows left tampa and jacksonville uh congratulations to As Cities Burn for being an active band again. By the way, it's something that we didn't. A lot of people didn't know if they'd ever see again.
2: Yeah, hey, we're excited. Yeah. just want to put out some new music. Yeah. Thank you so guys thanks, for having me today, for
3: catching up with us on that. And everybody, pay attention to As Cities Burn. It sounds like they are back at it and got new stuff going. Appreciate it. Okay, most of you guys know that
1: we, uh, my wife and I, have taken over started recently shipping all of our merchandise for Emory and for BC Supply and for a, uh, Classic Crime for Bad Christian music all this stuff Jess and I do that and we use stamps.com and it is so awesome I love it either I ship stuff directly from my house using my own mailbox or I take a buttload of stuff to the mail to the post office and just drop it off like I don't have to wait in the line ever that this is the truth so many times I have a car, my van, filled with uh, just stuff I'm shipping out. I just walk in, set it down, and leave. And and there's always a line, usually at the post office where I live uh, in, in, in Franklin, and it's so nice just to get drop it off there and just leave. I love it. Like, like I was saying earlier, postage rates have gone up again. So let stamps.com keep your rates down with postage discounts up to 40%. Discounts you can't even get at the post office, by the way. Stamps.com saves you three cents on everything every letter you send and that adds up seriously it does pay 2016 prices for 2018 stamps just use stamps.com to automatically calculate and print the correct amount of postage for every letter or package you send and stamps.com makes it easy they'll send you a digital scale to automatically calculate exact postage i love that part it's so fun i, I love having a little tiny scale and it just does all your uh, letters and your packages i just think it's so awesome and it's perfect. It works so good. Uh, stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. I know that for a fact, and that's why it's awesome. So I use stamps.com just because it's the best thing going. I mean, it really is. It makes everything easy, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and it is so easy for me to use and save money. So right now, you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Do you hear me? 4 week trial, plus postage and a digital scale, go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com, enter Bad Christian.
5: What I'll do first is give you a little introduction. Um, we will actually introduce two out of the four. I think most of y'all were here, just uh, heard from Jonathan Merritt, and then we had Derek Miner on a panel just a little bit ago. But uh, right here to my left, I have uh, Candace. And if you have heard of the Free Sex Podcast, this is one of those ladies. So let's give it up. And then Candace uh, told me about a good friend of hers that I am uh, very honored to be up here with. Her name is Nicole. And she has an interesting background and story. She's the daughter of a nun, mom of two, and she considers herself a spiritual explorer. And she uh, has a lot of good thoughts that she's going to bring to the table. Let's give her a hand as well. So I, I must say that I'm maybe a little nervous about this one because you guys know that I'm notorious for saying really stupid things. And when it comes to marginalization of people, that's not a good uh, subject to say stupid things about. So you guys pray for me and please do not video this. Thank you. So the marginalized is referred to as groups of people who are treated as insignificant or peripheral, those regulated to a lower or outer edge. Main categories in the Bible of the marginalized are women, the poor, sinners, the sick, and Gentiles. Jesus clearly demonstrates and admonishes us to help these people out. It's clear it's not really up for debate. Now, here in America, when we think of marginalized, who do we typically think of And I would assume amongst the four of you, uh, we'll name all of them that I have written down and maybe some more, but you guys just go ahead and chime in. Now, here in America, when we think of the marginalized, who do we typically think of?
6: Everybody but white men. (laughs) we
7: should say everybody, but straight, straight white, men. You, white men. you know what? <laughs> I just
6: thought about that. <laughs> yeah,
5: women, Muslims, African-Americans, yeah. uh, people in the LGBTQ community, just to name a few. I personally think those are some of the low-hanging fruit as far as where our mind goes uh, when we think of the marginalized.
7: And, and maybe one thing that we should Please mention should. is that's who... We think about when we think about the marginalized, Um, a February 2017 poll by Public Religion Research Institute showed that white evangelicals believe that Christians in America are more discriminated against than are Muslims. Wow. And then this is true. There is a large contingency of people, people who are very powerful, people who voted for our president, who made our president president, who do believe The opposite of what we just said, that the discriminated, the marginalized, and obviously I think we would, the majority of people, I think maybe all of you would disagree, but there is a contingent of people, if you turn on Fox News, you'll see these people, who think that actually straight white males, Protestant males are discriminated and are part of the marginalized, even more That's so than some of we mentioned.
5: So for those of you that fall in that category and you feel like you're marginalized, I am so sorry that people put negative comments on your Facebook post. <laughs> I know it's hard. I know it's just difficult to get through life, but you're going to make it. and We're going to be praying for you.
0: So this is an interesting thing because this is how I ended up here. So I am Roman Catholic. I was raised by a nun and Candace was at my house and she was showing me the questions that she was gonna answer and we couldn't figure this out, Mm -hmm. right? So you saying that the evangelicals, we as women didn't actually feel like we fit into this category because I feel like as a daughter of a nun, I live in the light of how she fought for it to be different, Mm. but I'm a minority and a woman and as we started to unpack it what I realized is that I've just shoved it down and I fall into all those categories that are current right now I fall into the sexual abuse I fall into the women making less I fall in so many categories but I couldn't figure it out and I was I invited myself here because <laughs> we couldn't figure it out. Yes. Right? We sat there That's and we quiet. we we had to go so far back to get here. But it's because of our generation.
5: Yeah. She told me that she was going to spread rumors of me on Twitter if I didn't have her on the panel. I was like, <laughs> That's right. I, "I know secrets." What does it look like for the gospel to be in action? for the marginalized in 2018. So for those of us who adhere to uh, a Christian faith, and obviously that is a, is a large tent, obviously we talked about 44,000 denominations. I think I have the number right. So the gospel to be in action on behalf of the marginalized, what does that look like? Because I don't want to assume that we all know that.
4: Well, before I answer that. I also want to add people with disabilities to the yes. list of being marginalized. Yep. After talking to Phil and Jen Smith, um, that is something that we shouldn't look over. And I, there's so many people. People in the church, people who are lower income, people who aren't in church leadership. It's, there's so many opportunities and places that people are marginalized. But I know for myself, and I freaking panicked when you asked me to do this because I didn't want to think about it. Yeah, just didn't. I like the honesty. It's easier to not think about it. Go, okay, this is a black problem. This is a low income problem. This is a feminist thing. I fall into it though. I'm a minority, but what I found out is, me not wanting to go there is not okay. Yeah, like I have to think about it even though it's hard to think about it you would call
5: it a responsibility for christians to think about this i
4: think it's a responsibility for every single person to think about it yep and it's gross when people are like no it doesn't it doesn't affect my church yeah it fucking does affect your church yes i mean it's people
5: (laughs) i was laughing at Derek's reaction not your comment that was great (laughs) The gospel to be in action on behalf of the marginalized, Jonathan.
7: I, I don't know something about the phrase "on behalf of the marginalized" kind of bugs me.
5: I love how you dissect that's it. and I'm yeah. I'm not being sarcastic. I love it. I want to yeah. hear what you have to say about because
7: that because I think the, the 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 sort of white normativity that's at the basis of these questions is basically what can like privileged white folks do to help brown and black and gay and female et cetera et cetera et cetera and that that um, reinforces the hierarchy like i don't want to stand up for someone i want to stand up with them i want i want them you know they i don't think they that like the marginalized need me to be their savior that's i need i feel like i need me to be their savior because i'm an egomaniac right like if that's that feeds me that feeds the ego but what they need is to be humanized which means that 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 i can i i want to i want to be with them rather than on behalf of them and i think you get a lot of that you get a lot of that particularly in in conservative Protestant Christianity, it's a lot of like white males like patting themselves on the back because they got a photo op with Compassion International. And that that to me is is not exactly <laughs> it's not exactly the best way to maybe go about having this conversation.
6: Uh, pa- w- panel's over. Yeah. What's we're, you- we're done. <laughs> <laughs> panel's over, man. It's, that's it. He just gave us the answer. Y'all ready to go and, on? And and John Jonathan- <laughs>
5: I do. Uh, sorry, we we gotta continue, man. Is okay, right all right, let's all do right. it, <laughs> Jonathan. I, but I want to I want to stay there for a second. Do do I, I want us to appreciate how easy it is for someone like me to say something that needed to be critiqued? What Jonathan just said, I don't think there's too many people in here that be like, well, that's uh, I don't agree with that. My question is: Is there an is an overzealousness, and let's look at social media or just people in general, to actually demonize me for saying something that reflects potentially ignorance on my part. But is it out of hand, so to speak, for someone to look at me and say, "Oh, that was just uncalled for." See that? I, see you can tell how your heart is just how you said that. Do you think that people are a little overexcited when it comes to how quickly? They make assessments about someone based on a comment that I or or a wording that I used that needed to be called out. But is are are people overly excited to assess someone's
6: character based on those words, or is it healthy? I think we're overly excited to assess people's character on small things all the time. I think that's just. I don't think that has anything to do with victimhood or marginalization. I think that just has to do with us living in a society where everyone just feels they have to speak about something like anytime something happens i have to give a reaction to it and when you're in a reactionary society like that no one no one's right you know like no one no one gets the benefit of the doubt that they mean well yeah um so i i will say um that does get counterproductive in a in in a sense because when every time someone says something you never when you can't have a conversation you can never get to the root and never, you know, create real change without yeah. conversation. So I feel like, yeah, I think we're in a hyper, a society where everything is like, oh, you suck because you said these things. But I think at the end of the day, that's just where we're at. I think we have to learn how to have conversations again, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just period.
5: Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk about the word privilege. Privilege has become a common word in this discussion Basically, a helpful word for people's blind spots to be uncovered and an advantageous place in society to not be overlooked. So we understand, we've talked a little bit about it already today, the most privileged basically being the white heterosexual male. Um, But describe a healthy perception of personal privilege that will bid us well as individuals in helping the marginalized. So basically, what Derek was just talking about, how do we take white privilege for instance male white heterosexual privilege and and treat that in a balanced way and I'll be uh, super specific is it not is it unbalanced when someone points to a Facebook post of a white heterosexual male that says some very good stuff but then you have a, a woman or a black male or a Uh, gay female say, well, that's easy for you to say because you are privileged. And it's basically let's write off everything that person just said because who are they to speak on this?
6: I mean, I I don't know what the hell you (laughs) just (laughs) said.
5: That's my dog right there.
6: (laughs) me and Joe we mess with each other like this all the time. so that's I just, just love your it. bounce man yeah. That's what it is but if you i think if you I think the question you're asking is can, can can a white heterosexual male speak into the issues of minorities and the marginalized yeah, and, and I even you if that- they say a good even if they have a good perspective oftentimes. They wind up being, you know, crushed because maybe because their privilege Want people want not allow them to speak because of their privilege. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So let's say let's say that
5: person goes on Facebook and says, "Hey man, the the anger is just not helpful." Yeah. Well, then uh, blackmail says, "Well, that's easy for you to say. You're not dealing with what I'm dealing with. Please be quiet." Yeah.
6: Well, from my perspective, um, for me, I feel like. Um, how dare someone tell me what I'm angry over and what I should be angry over and what I shouldn't be angry over? Like, I don't think that's out of bounds just in humanity. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's even a white privilege thing. That's just like, how can you tell me what should upset me and what shouldn't upset me? I think the reason why oftentimes heterosexual men, um, heterosexual white men with privilege get crushed is because oftentimes it's like, man, you guys have spoken for the longest time, like we're waiting to get a chance for us to speak, and I think that that's what's that's where you see the frustration come from it's not the anger's not at that guy it's at the establishment of white heterosexual privileged men. It's like oftentimes we never get a chance to speak and then when we do get when we do speak, it's oftentimes in, when it's a crisis and then people they don't want to speak on man, how can I?" better myself they want to tell me what I can be angry over and what I can't be angry over so hey young black kid gets shot oh it wasn't your brother why are you mad like it's like right. how in the world can you tell me why I should be mad or why I shouldn't be mad so I think that's the thing yeah is oftentimes the reach is not necessarily the fact that you're speaking it's just you're speaking on things that I mean you have no right to speak on oftentimes yeah.
5: Yeah, and and Candace, you said something um, but behind the scenes. I don't know if it was you and I texting back and forth or in a conversation. Group text with Priscilla? Group text with Priscilla? Gotcha. I, I don't know.
4: <laughs> Boundaries.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> I'm just kidding. That didn't happen.
5: It took me a while. That was funny. I like that. <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I remember. So... I, what, what I want to, you actually shared something, and, I, and I'm I'm kind of like, ooh, does does she want this? I, I think you actually said that this would be a good question. You walk in here, there's no Asians. Right. Does that make you feel uncomfortable, Derek? There's very few. I mean, both of you guys, just just tyranny. There's a lot of white people. <laughs> it's
6: me and tyranny. So,
5: I think it's. <laughs> I think it's easy for uh, us white folks to look at you guys and be like, oh, no, this is a very inviting atmosphere. Everything's cool, man. We love you. This is awesome, man. We're all having fun. But I want to get inside y'all's heads a little bit. Is it that simple? I mean, y'all walk in here and it's like, oh, yeah, all is good. Or are there some things in here that y'all are processing? And I mean, is there any sort of discomfort at all?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a discomfort. Um, and I think part of that, too, is I, I married a white guy on purpose. Mm. First, he's attractive, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> but I married into a white pastor Christian family. Mm. And I knew that was going to up my game or up my whatever. Um, and it sucks to say that, but there was a little bit of, like, I married into this family knowing that being a part of this family and having this name was going to give me privilege. And I played it up for a very long time, unfortunately. Um, I thought I was, you know, like, I'm one of them. And I went to like a most white church. I I actually really enjoy being around white people. I love your accents, you know.
5: (laughs) All white people have the same accent. And your big
4: blue eyes, oh my God, you guys are beautiful. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, like, that's just, I am uncomfortable, but I'm i am also, I've been in this for a long time, like, but it does make me sad, it makes me go, why is it that nobody brought their Asian friends, like, is this, are, are is what we're talking about here not relevant to that culture, to that community, and part of it, too, me and Nicole were talking about this, so... When I look at it, it's black people who are marginalized. Then I think it's women. Then I think it's immigrants. And then there's also a huge list, right? But then when I think about it, so African American people are starting to speak. Women have been speaking and continuing to speak. Immigrants don't say shit. They don't say anything. Why? I don't know. Probably because... They left their country to make a better life for themselves, and they don't want to deal with all the ruckus. Like, they're not going to add more problems. They're not going to add more drama. They just want to keep their head, head down and work. In that same note, though, I know many Asian people who are racist. Yeah. So there is a disconnect. Yeah. You know?
5: So take Jonathan and myself, for instance. We sit down with uh, you three, but individually, and we say how how can we help without hurting? Like, how can we speak out without putting our foot in our mouths? Like, give us some baby steps that we can take as individuals in helping out with the marginalization crisis, I would call it.
0: Yeah, so I think Jonathan said it earlier. So he, here's where I get overwhelmed. It's what you just did. It's the categories. This is where we got stuck. Okay we're like trying to prioritize which one is the most hurt. Mm. Right? And I actually married minority. I'm minority too, but I can go between the two. So if I meet you and you're white, I'm gonna tell you I'm white. When I met Candace, I was like, I'm Filipino, (laughs) right? And so I have the ability to go between the two, but we were talking about this at lunch, but when people meet me and they see my husband, Someone just said this to me. That's not who I imagined you with. Who the fuck did you imagine me with? Right? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, that just really gets me. And after 15 years of being married to him, there's these subtleties that happen in their family. Like, when you get on a plane, don't get on without makeup because you get treated differently if you look like you're an immigrant or if you look like you're a fancy immigrant in the US. But so going back to what you said, I feel like there's no other way to not get overwhelmed for me than to have a one-on-one conversation. Because all these categories are so complex that I can't know everything in that category.
5: Where's the Where's the church dropping the ball with this, and how can churches, or what sort of drastic changes in how churches communicate? And and I'm, when I say churches, I'm talking about the corporate organization, Sunday morning gatherings, uh, whether gigantic churches, small churches. What can they be doing from the top down? So we're talking pastors or uh, the people that make up the churches. What are some baby steps that a typical Mega church can make in helping.
0: So I'm outside of your church. I feel like you're doing it. This is it. Like, this here, it's happening. I am a Catholic in a room full of Christians looking in saying, you are having these hard conversations. It's you guys being your bad Christian selves. <laughs>
5: Well, I tell you what, uh, we, can, we can camp out here and I've got so many more questions that I can ask, but I actually want you guys to do the asking. Is that the cordless right there? No. No, it is not. Where is it? Where? On the mic- oh, here. on the microphone stand.
6: Um, thanks, Toby. Hey, why you he get so close to it when he want to grab it? <laughs> what? It <laughs> was like it's right here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, j- just hey, he a- thought he was gonna get a whooping. <laughs> <laughs> just right.
5: a reminder, because we all have some hard headed streaks here. Uh, me, you, all of us. But this is not your time uh, to give like a minute speech. Um, this is stand up, ask a question, and sit down. No, I'm
6: just damn. <laughs> you like that? I like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, all right, questions First so uh, my fiancé and I, uh, getting married this December, she's Filipino. And I have picked up on a lot of the racism that she experiences that I didn't quite see there before. What am I supposed to do when is going to become her husband and also just her friend? What am I supposed to do when those little bits of racism happen, when someone speaks to me like an adult, and then her like, a, like she's a child, am I supposed to say, don't speak to her like a child, why are you doing that? How am I supposed to interact in those situations? Hell yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. That's your <laughs> wife. Somebody speaks to my wife like a child. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. If you want to stay married, boy, you better... <laughs> i trying to help you, shouting.
5: Derek's basically saying, beat that guy's ass. <laughs>
1: Hey. I wish a white person would. <laughs> hey.
6: And then you might get some, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's saying.
5: i was Oh, insane. baby, that was just so courageous. <laughs> Candice.
4: There's going to be times when you're not going to say anything, and I think there's going to be times when you have to, even if it's uncomfortable for you. Um, and it's okay for her to also say something, too, you know? But if she says something, you back her up 100%. Don't be passive. Be more aggressive in those moments. Um, and also just, you don't have to be a dick, right, to do it. You can say it in a way that is attractive to her, to the point, and not passive. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah. And, and this is hard for me to admit, but I'll just be super transparent. That's That question's mind-boggling to me. Like, talking to her like a child, you've obviously seen that. I'm like, are you serious? Like, that's, that's it's just. That's I mean, there's a
4: condescend... There's a tone of condescending. Thank you. Condescending. Will there be times
5: when that happens and he won't even pick up on it? Like, are there times when that happens to you and your husband's oblivious? Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. And then I bitch about it in the car.
6: (laughs) See? See? (laughs) Trying to put you on, shouty.
8: (laughs) Hey, guys. So, um, I have a friend a couple years ago, we used to do ministry together in our local hardcore scene and stuff like that. And um, at one point a few years ago, he got a job as a youth pastor, um, and then somehow he got let go of that. Afterwards, he kind of completely changed into a different person than I essentially knew when we were doing ministry. Like he's a mutant or... No, like... (laughs) His, his attitude. Yeah, gotcha. my wife is yelling he's a dick. Um, so you can kind of <laughs> understand. So um, over the last few years following the podcast and, you know, learning more about white people and their privilege and stuff, I've gotten a little better at that. He's kind of gone in the opposite direction, um, following, you know, certain people in politics and stuff that are more...
6: Just saying, bro. Uh,
8: <laughs> people like Milo Yiannopoulos and Stephen crowd Oh, Crowder. he a full-blood racist. And, like, yeah. Full, he got full-blown racism. Yeah. And, right. and, 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 and I've <laughs> tried to talk with him, have, like, civil conversations and stuff like that. It doesn't really seem to work. I'm ready to dropkick him in the throat at this point. And I just don't know exactly what I can do to really, like, kind of... Bring him into a point where he might be able to see something. For are once. you at a
5: place where maybe you feel like giving up? Like, yeah. like this guy's not worth yeah. it? Or oh.
8: yeah, because he's a friend of mine, and we have a we have a relationship. But it's like I don't know if I should end that or if I should keep going. Because at this point, it's you know, it feels worthless.
5: Let's let's zoom in on specifically what are we to do with friends of ours, people that we grew up, people that we love. And they're racist assholes. Some I, I'll stop there.
1: Also, how is it that every youth pastor somehow gets fired? <laughs> I don't
6: know how that happened. Well, well, I want to hear what Jonathan has to say, man. You haven't said much, yeah. so yeah. Well,
7: I feel, it does feel a little weird. You know, when you're on, I want to hear from, from y- you guys. I think when you, when you want to talk about the marginalized, you need to hear from marginalized people. And the, the tendency, the expected thing is that the white guy up here gets and tells everybody what they should do and recontextualizes everything that's not what I want to do. But I will say, like, with your question specifically, just the thought that pops into my mind is... I just think like we've we've forgotten the the transformative power of friendship, yeah. and you know statistically, the more likely you are to say that you have a close friend or relative who is gay, who is Muslim, who is transgender, the more likely you are to support ideas and policies that are are um, compassionate just and and promote equality and so I think that's important to remember and and I would, if maybe what you should do is rather than fight an intellectual battle is to fight a relational battle, to, to extend invitations for that person to actually hear from and experience in a life-on-life way people that um, that person might not otherwise interact with. I mean, I, I, there are lots of us in here that would say like, oh yeah, I care about transgender issues. But like, if you met my friend Scout, it would be totally different. You, 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 it would be a face. It's a, it's a flesh and blood. It really does change things. And I would say also, and this is sort of my own journey into kind of mysticism maybe that this impulse is coming from, but the transformative power of relationship also works in reverse. And maybe the question is not how should your relationship with him change him. Maybe it's how should his relationship with you change you, and, and what are the ways in which you are being formed by being with someone who, ha- who is steeped in ignorance, who's stubborn, who is unchanging? What are those things revealing about you and your own character and your own spiritual formation so that instead of seeing every interaction with him as a window to somehow evaluate his life, you see it as a mirror for self-reflection? I, I think just to pause maybe in, in, in some way and to think, think not just about his ability to change as a referendum on you reflect internally on, on maybe the way that, that he could be a catalyst for your own spiritual maturity.
5: Awesome. And, and, and Jonathan, me. you, you also said uh, earlier, as far as the wording uh, on behalf of helping uh, the marginalized, I would like to ask uh, you three um, eliminating the white privilege guy right here just for a second. Do you ever feel like, please be quiet, white person, I've got this? Like, you don't need to stick up for me right now, whether it's social media, whether it's uh, a situation that you're in, you're just like, what do you think, I'm a baby? I can't speak for myself?
6: Yeah, I think one of the most dangerous things is for uh, people to think because they're smart in one area that they're smart in all areas. So I feel like that's what often happens with... um, Some of my white brothers and sisters is, you know, they're like, man, like I'm smart, I'm intelligent. So when it comes to, you know, black issues or issues that deal with black people, they're like, well then I know the answer to that. And it's like, nah, you don't, like, you just just don't. Like you're just, just because I, you know, I'm really smart at rapping doesn't mean I can fly a plane. You know what I mean? I think that's, (laughs) it's just a fact. So I think that, that for me, when I think of that question, I think the probably the most important thing someone could do is speak to your own kind as opposed to try to tell us what we can do. So if you're not a racist prick, help your friends not be racist pricks. That's what I need more because I don't have the relational equity in the white culture to be able to speak And people say, oh, man, that sounds good. Oftentimes, there's always that, well, that's from a black guy's perspective thing in the back of people's head. I know that because oftentimes when a white person is speaking to me, I'm like, well, I kind of like, but they don't know because they don't live the life that I've lived. You know, so I think something that that would help us a lot. I mean, for me, I'm like, man, talk to your buddies, like some of the things that God has revealed to you, like talk to them, check them when they're out of control. You know, and I think I think that in itself would help out a lot, which and I think that is probably the hardest thing to do because you lose relational equity. That's what that that, and I think that's what winds up happening. Like when you think about police officers in, in the justice system, they say most police officers are good people and I believe that most police officers are good people but they're silent when their buddies are off on a rampage or they hide for their buddies off on a rampage rather than hold them accountable and say nah man this is not how you act this is like but you could lose relational equity if you did that especially if that person is more popular than you or whatever and I think that that's the big issue here Um, I don't need a a white guy telling me what black people need to do in their neighborhoods because you guys don't live in our neighborhood so you can't really tell us what to do. Like, I mean, you don't really know what's going on. Uh, same way I couldn't really, you know, tell tell anybody in Boise, Idaho, what they need to do to improve Boise, Idaho. I don't live there. You know? I, I just started, don't.
0: Yeah, but... Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, but yeah. I... So here's the thing, though. What's the comfortable way to ask you those questions? Because I can stand in my spot. But, so I, got, I read ta Coats Between the World and Me, on the plane, and it's a powerful book about black history, a lot about the police. I got, I'm like, furious. Yeah. But I don't know how to... I want to hear that, and I, I live in a city where there are no black people. We called our, like, one black friend that is in proximity to us last night, because we don't feel qualified to get up here and say that. Yeah. But how do you open the conversation where I could ask you about that? Like, I have so many questions, but I don't, I don't know what to do. You just ask, but is, that not, <laughs> but is that not coming from a place where? Because yeah. what you were saying is like stand in your own spot and be you, evangelized to who you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I I mean, so, like, what am I gonna ask you? So, so what I start? what I what
6: I think, um, my personal idea is. The re- like you said earlier, I was thinking this. You said, uh, why didn't anyone invite their Asian friends? I'm like, it's probably because they don't have a lot of Asian friends. Why didn't they invite their black friends? It's probably because we don't have any black friends. You see what I mean? And it's because we tend to go into our own little comfortable places. Um, and I think that's what the idea of being marginalized is What's what's crazy there. Because white people could literally kind of just retreat into we all can retreat into our own places but I think with a black person at some point in time I'm gonna have to have a relationship with a white person to function in society like a white man doesn't have to he is not dependent on a black man for anything for the most part in 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 society in the in the grand scheme of things and that's what makes the power thing that's why black people are talking about power 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 because for us if I want to move up in the world, I have to have a white male friend. I have to, period. Like, I can't just do it in my own context because most of my context is poor. You see what I mean? So I think, like, when we're talking about these types of issues, I think a step is just, if you have black friends, like, talk to them. If you don't have black friends, let's not go, let's, let's not go rent a black friend. But, <laughs> you know... I'm saying, like... <laughs> you got to make that
0: out. That, that was out. me asking you if I could rent a black friend. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that was. But, really.
6: But but, what I, but I, what I think... I think what can happen, though, is in places where relationships are organic, you can dig in and say, okay... I, I think most black people, if you ask them, what do they think about police officers, racism, or whatever, they don't have to even know you, and they'll tell you. They'll spill their heart. Because it's just because... For us, that has been, I mean, it's, it's my life. Like, I can't live my life without seeing through that lens, unfortunately. You know what I mean? Uh, that's what's funny when people are like, I don't see racism. I don't see color. And it's like, oh, you see I'm black. <laughs> it's like, but you have, the, you, have the, you, you have such an insulation from the world that you can say that, that it doesn't affect any area of your life flippantly, because usually that is because the power structure doesn't afford it doesn't afford you to have to to think through my relationship with minorities. You could just live your life because you have the privilege to do that.
4: For, do you ever for get me, t-
5: Do you ever get tired of helping white people work <laughs> shit out in their heads? Like seriously, like if people are constantly asking, man, what do
6: I do in this situation? Does that ever get taxing? Personally, for me, no. But I believe that that's. God put me there. Mm-hmm. Like when I look through all of my my upbringing, I feel like God put me there. Like you know, I want to be a, I for sure want to be it. I feel like He's like tuning that mug up to start doing the altar call. <laughs> 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 I started of chords. I'm like, oh snap!
0: That was God. Well, <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> but uh. <laughs> so, <girl. laughs> Y'all are terrible, man. I hate y'all. But I I think for me, I feel like that has been, like, God has gifted me and put me in situations where that just keeps coming up. So I've just kind of just submitted to him and said, I guess that's what it's going to be for me. But I think some black people may be tired of me personally. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, just
5: the few conversations I've had with you over the past few years, it's almost embarrassing to admit how little I knew and how much you've helped me. my I remember, uh, I think you and Propaganda were on our podcast at the same time with my brother and I, and even some of the stuff was super challenging for my brother, and then he ends up, he's he's bald like me, and he grows his hair out a little bit, so he goes to a black barbershop to get his, and his barber now that's kind of my brother's go-to. He asks him, and they just have great dialogue. And it's like, my brother's a different person now. I mean, it's we grew up in the South. There's a lot of stuff that we just don't know.
7: And And maybe one thing just to consider or to raise, you know, oftentimes I think when we have conversations about culture, about faith and culture, we talk about the problem when we really should talk about the problem behind the problem. So when, for example, you know, you brought up a problem, how do I ask you how I can help or be better. That's the problem. The problem behind the problem is, is because I, we lack these relationships. And the real thing is that there needs to be, I think, particularly among white evangelicals, a, a, in mass a confession of the poverty of our relationships. And a lot of these things clarify when, when, when you begin to develop rich and diverse relationships, you, you know, you can navigate those waters. You don't have to ask questions like, and I'm not just pointing you out, I'm pointing me out. Uh, even living in, in, in New York city, it's like you, you have to be really intentional because that, that, that whole city divides by race and class and economics and everything else. Like you think it's diverse, but it's not exactly like that. So, there has to be an intentionality, not just to confess the poverty of our relationships, but to build the kind of community that would reflect not just the kingdom of God, but would actually end up resolving these things. C.S. Lewis has this great quote where he says, in this essay he wrote called First and Second Things, where he says, if you want to get, you, you don't get second things by putting second things first, you get second things by putting first things first. And I think that when we resolve those deep communal relational issues, those second things end up resolving
0: themselves a lot of That's times. Awesome. That's awesome. the right, title more. of your next book, by the way. What? The Poverty of, Re- of Relationships. That's yours?
7: That's yours. Oh, mine.
0: <laughs> is, is we'll, see,
7: kind of, we'll see. We'll kind see. Of? I like that title, though. I like
0: that. I love that. I'll give you credit uh,
7: for that. Are
5: any of you guys open to people uh, if they see you walking around to ask you a question because we're pretty much out of time. Are y'all all all fine with that? No. (laughs) You not step up to Derek, but the rest of you... No. I know Derek's getting right now. But yeah, uh, hit these guys up with some questions and uh, we are actually going to transition into our... uh, Not our final panel, actually. We have two more panels today. Uh, We're going to First, be treated uh, from Matt McDonald and a song. He's gonna sing, Matt McDonald. (laughs) That's kind of Derek Minor. I'm gonna do that for now. I I like it. All right, let's give these guys a hand.
3: listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.